0: Well, how are you loving the weather today? Finally, right? I've been telling some of my friends that live in other parts of the country that the Gallatin Valley, the last couple of weeks, has morphed into Narnia, where it's always winter and never Christmas. And finally, spring has come. It appears Aslan is in the land. If you've never read the Chronicles of Narnia... Man, okay, I, I shouldn't, I, let's stay on track. All right, good morning, everybody. Spring is coming, and with spring comes life, life. If you look carefully, maybe you can see a little bit of green under that receding snow. We've seen a little bit of green grass in our yards, although it's pretty tamped down where, where we live, but, but life is coming, and life is the message of Easter. Uh, Thursday of this week, Chris was looking out of our bedroom window and she discovered we had one tiny little crocus growing in our garden patch in the backyard. And I thought she was so cute, I had to get a picture of her. Um, she was getting a picture of the flower. But uh, look, at, look at the close up of this beautiful. This is life. And life is the message of Easter. I want you to hear how Simon Peter, who was an eyewitness to the resurrected life of Jesus, how he described it in Acts chapter two. Peter said, God released Jesus from the horrors of death and raised him back to life because death could not keep him in its grip. I can't imagine a better way of saying that. Death could not keep Jesus in its grip. But you and I probably all know that there is a struggle between death and life. In fact, I'm, I'm betting this morning that almost everybody in this room can feel that struggle between death and life. And sometimes, I'm afraid, we get the mistaken idea that maybe death wins in the end. Because there's a lot of things that can get our attention off of life. For example, the last few weeks, we've... We've heard on the news some terrible, terrible news about natural disasters, the tornadoes in the southern part of the United States, murder and suicide in schools in Tennessee. These kinds of things can convince us that death wins in the end. Some of the stuff comes even closer to home, and you guys know what I'm talking about. We experience little snippets of death throughout our lives. Maybe for you it's the death of a dream or the death of a relationship. It can just be as simple as disappointment that leads you to cynicism, sickness, disease. As I was praying this week and preparing for this message, I felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking to me and saying, we're gonna have some folks here at Connect today, maybe it's you, who walked into this building carrying the spirit of death. And what I want you to know today is that death does not win. Death does not win because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, life wins. And if you've walked into this room today carrying this spirit of death, I hope at the end of this message you will pray with me because Jesus is going to set you free from the spirit of death today. Death doesn't get to win. Life wins. Listen, I don't believe it's a coincidence that you're here today. Maybe you're here, somebody invited you, maybe you wandered in. Every, a lot of times we have people that just Google church and they find us. Um, Let's you in on a secret, we pay a lot of money f- to be at the top of that Google search. Because <laughs> we want you to wander in. I don't think it's a coincidence that you're here. Jesus has life for you and life wins. Today, we're starting a brand new message series. I love new series, as you guys know that. We're starting a new series called Plenty. And the theme verse of this message series comes from John chapter 10. It's up on the screen this morning. Uh, These are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and to destroy. But I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. Everybody say the word abundantly. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. I I got on my computer this week and I looked up synonyms for the word abundant. Because I like this word, but it's not a word we use very often. So here's some synonyms. I like a lot of these. Um, uh, Abundant can mean ample. I like bountiful. I love copious. Okay? We are talking about life that Jesus gives, copious life, generous, heavy, rich, sufficient, bounteous is good, crawling with. How would you like to be just crawling with life? It's kind of cool. When we were, when we were working on this message series, we landed on the word plenty, plenty, because uh, that's a word we use a lot. Plenty can mean you just have enough, barely enough maybe, Or it can mean, man, there's plenty. It can mean lots. When Jesus said that I came so that you can have life and have it abundantly, in the Greek language that the the Bible was written in, in the the Greek language, that word abundant actually means excessive. Excessive. Jesus wants you and me to have life that is excessive. Excessive. One version says, I came that you can have more and better life than you ever dreamed of. And for the next six weeks, we're going to be talking about what it means to have a life of plenty. How do you access that? How do you live in it? What does it mean, especially if you're struggling? Anybody in the room struggling just a little bit? Okay. I want you to know, even when you're struggling, Jesus has life, plenty of life for you. So we're going to be talking about that in the next couple of weeks. I want to read this verse one more time. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay, Somebody's out to get you, but it isn't God. Because Jesus came to give you life that you can have it abundantly. So today I want to talk to you about how to live with plenty of life. This is the title of my message today. I'm gonna use an Easter egg to help you remember. How many of you dyed Easter eggs this, this weekend at some point? Okay, nobody? Hmm. All right, well I have two beautiful Easter eggs provided to me from the Fredrickson family. And they feel like they were dyed not long ago because they're a little sticky and I'm getting dye on my fingers. At Easter time, we, we decorate Easter eggs, we spread Easter eggs, we fill Easter eggs with candy. Some of you were at the Easter egg hunt yesterday. The Easter egg has become a big symbol of the message of Easter, and I don't know if you've ever asked yourself why. One of the reasons why Easter eggs are a symbol of Easter is because um, if this, if this uh, egg had not been cooked, and it was left with its mom, the hen, not the bunny, by the way... Um, If this egg had been left to its natural processes, what would have come from this egg? Life. A baby chick would have emerged from this egg. But did you know that there's another meaning to an Easter egg? I have my handy dandy knife. Isn't that a cool color? It's the Easter knife. Ready for this? The Easter egg is a symbol of the Trinity. I thought it was significant this morning that we were singing about the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And an egg can symbolize the Trinity because this egg, how many eggs do I have in my hand? Well, half, yeah, obviously. Um, <laughs> one. One egg, but there's yolk, there's white, there's shell, right? This symbolizes Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. Theologians will say three persons, one God. And I want to use this Easter egg this morning as, as, a, as a help to us to remember because what I'm going to talk about today when it comes to plenty of life, I'm going to talk about how God the Father is the provider of the plenty life. Jesus, the Son, is the one who resurrects the plenty life after we've messed it up. And Holy Spirit is the one who activates the plenty life once we come to him and we want to get the plenty life. So the Father provides, Jesus resurrects, Holy Spirit activates. You ready for this? Let's jump in. Here's number one. If you're taking notes this morning, and if you didn't get notes, there's some right up here by the stage, and there's probably some more back there. Could I have a volunteer that would just help me clean up the mess that I've just created? Thank you, Lucas. Careful of that knife. You're awesome. God the Father provides plenty of life. I wanna take us clear back to the garden. Genesis chapter two, and I want you to read, it's up on the screen this morning, I want you to read how God provided life for the people that he invited into the garden. Here's what we read. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord caused every tree to grow, That is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. Now, if you look carefully at those verses that we just read, what you see is plenty. There's plenty of trees, there's plenty of food, there's plenty of water, everything is beautiful. There's just this abundance, this excessiveness, this plentiness that's in this garden. And, And even in the garden, and I don't completely understand this, but I'm just telling you what's in the Bible, there's also a tree called the tree of life. There was so much life, it was just bursting out everywhere. God provided plenty of life reminds me of Jesus' abundant life. And and if you look around at, at the world that we live in, there's plenty here as well, especially plenty of snow these days. But there's plenty. God provides plenty for you and me. But the struggle that we have is that sometimes we don't really believe that this applies to me. Did God really provide enough for me? When life gets difficult... The question you and I struggle with is, will I trust God to give me plenty of life? The converse of that is sometimes we think that God is just looking for an opportunity to take me out. I don't know if you've ever consciously thought of that, but a lot of people live that way. I invite people to visit Connect Church all the time, and every once in a while I Running into somebody and I say, I'd love for you to come and visit Connect. And, And sometimes they'll say, oh, you don't want me to come to your church. As soon as I walk through the doors, the walls will fall over. That's an indication that they believe that God is looking for an opportunity to take them out. And that might be you. And if trusting God is a struggle for you, you know, you're not alone. This has been with us from the very beginning. Adam and Eve struggled to really trust God. I want to keep reading from Genesis chapter 2. God provided all that beauty, all that, all that food and water. And then uh, in verse 16, God commanded the man, Adam, and he said, li- listen to this, from any tree of the garden you can freely eat, except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall, you shall not eat from that one, for on the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. I kind of messed that up reading. Let me say it one more time. From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for on the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, as I was studying the last couple of weeks um, from this passage of the Bible, I found a couple of interesting things that I want to share with you, and I hope you don't mind if I geek out about some of these Bible words for just a minute. This part of the Bible was written in Hebrew, and the word day is the word yom in in Hebrew language. You probably know it from Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And so when it's translated day, we think of a 24-hour day, right? But that word in Hebrew actually means day, time, year, or a lifetime. And so what God was saying, I think, is that if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, There's going to come a time, an unspecified period of time, in which death is going to come. But it doesn't mean that God's going to strike you dead as soon as you disobey him. That's not what happened to Adam and Eve, if you know the rest of the story. They go on to live a very long time. But there was something that happened in that season that shifted. It was about death. Now, the, the, the last part of that verse, you will certainly die, in the Hebrew language, it's just two verbs. It's mut tamut. And actually, those are the same verb in different forms. Mut tamut. And if you were to translate it literally, it would say, dying you will die. It's talking about a continual process of death working in your life. That sounds really odd, doesn't it? Working in your person, death is going to start, it's going to continue, and it's going to intensify. In the Hebrew language, when two verbs are said in repetition, it intensifies it. So what God was saying to Adam was that in, the, in, in your life, in this season in which you disobey, death is going to start and it's going to continue. Dying, you will die. Does that make sense? Now, some people read this, and they think that obviously God is some kind of egoist with a passive-aggressive streak, and God is just looking for an opportunity to take Adam and Eve out. I'm going to dangle this beautiful fruit in front of you and hope you eat it, because I can't wait to squish you. A lot of people think that. I want to ask you a question, though. Is it possible? that maybe God was looking out for their best interests? Is it possible that maybe God knew what he was doing and he wasn't trying to withhold, He, he, he wasn't trying to set them up, he was actually looking out for what was best for them? You probably know how the story goes. The serpent comes in, he plants the seeds of doubt in their minds, Starts in Genesis 3, 1, where the serpent says, did God really say, really? And when Eve says to him, yeah, this is what God said, that that in the day that we eat, we'll certainly die. The serpent says, you certainly will not die. God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. And the wheels started turning in Eve's mind, in Adam's mind, I think he was probably right there at least close. They start thinking, ah, God's holding out on me. Have you ever felt like God is holding out on you? The serpent's still talking to us today. I can't trust God to provide for my needs. There's stuff that God says is off limits for my life. I want that thing. I'm going to get that thing. And it's a, it's a manifestation of trust. Will you trust God? My wife and I host a, a small group in our, in our home, and this week we had a really fun conversation. We've been walking through the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And uh, at the end of our study this week, we started just talking about uh, what God has done in our lives. And one of our small group members, Colton Holdorf, shared a story that I wanted to share with you today. Uh, Colton loves fly fishing. Colton's sitting right back here. But look at that picture. He's a beautiful man. (laughs) I have so much hair envy, I can't even speak. (laughs) Colton is an awesome young man because he loves fly fishing, but he loves God even more. And uh, several years ago, he had an opportunity to serve with a Christian ministry, and it was a great opportunity that he wanted to jump for because he really didn't like his job at the time, and he felt like he was going from a job that he didn't really like to a life of plenty, this abundant life that Jesus has talked about. And and so on, on on the day that he started this new job, he had just come back from a mission trip that he'd been on, and he didn't have any money Uh, But but the nature of his job is he was guiding fly fishing trips on rivers and hosting people that needed uh, like a Sabbath in their life, or they needed ministry, they needed Jesus in their life, and fly fishing was just a vehicle to be able to minister to people. Colton was perfect for this job. But he got back from this mission trip, and he had no money whatsoever, and he needed to buy a fishing license. He'd been out of the country for a while. And so he told the the ministry organization, I don't have money for a fly fishing license or a fishing license. And and they said, no problem, we'll buy it for you. And so he trusted that they had gone through the process. They confirmed they'd gotten the, 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 the fishing license, but he never remembered to print it out and he found himself out on the river training to be a guide. The end of this training day, they got back to shore and sure enough, they run into the game warden. The game warden asked Colton for his fishing license. And he says, oh, man, I, I, I bought it. My, my boss bought it for me, but I forgot to print it. So they went back to the car. They start checking and going through all their computer stuff. There's no evidence whatsoever that Colton had his fishing license. They can't find it anywhere. So they came back to him, and then they accused him of obstructing justice because he'd lied to a peace officer, and they charged him with a whole bunch of stuff, hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of fines, told him, you can't fish, you can't guide, you are done. Done. This is Colton's dream. And like that, it's dead. So Colton shared with us the other night. He was driving back to the ministry center and he was mad. He made up his mind as he he was driving. He was just gonna go back to the old job he hated. There's no point going back to the ministry center. There's no plenty, there's no abundance. Everything has died. You ever been there? If you had something that just crashed. In Adam and Eve's situation, it's fascinating to me because we see that God the Father provides plenty of life for them, but they don't trust God. Even though they could see all of the abundance, all of the plenty. They don't trust God, and so you probably know the story. They eat from the tree, and sure enough, just like God warned, death enters the world, and the first manifestation of that death was shame. You know what I'm talking about, right? Shame. I, I, I don't know if there's anything worse than shame. I hate shame. I hate feeling shame. I hate it when I do something that brings somebody I love, shame. Shame is a manifestation of death. And so when God came into the garden, like he did every day, you know what Adam and Eve did? They hid from God. Shame separates us from God. Some people will tell you that sin separates you from God. I think shame separates us from God because we hide from him. In fact, in the midst of their shame, And in the midst of their sin, do you know what God did? Some people will tell you that God punished them. The first thing God did is he came looking for them. And friends, today, God is looking for you. He's looking for you, regardless of where you've been, regardless of what sin or shame that you carry, God is looking for you. And the first thing God did when he found Adam and Eve is he covered their shame with animal skins which foreshadowed the way Jesus would cover our sins with his own blood on the cross. This is a picture of who God is. He's not looking to take you out. He's not setting you up to make a mistake so he can just punish you or kill you or make you die. That's not his agenda. He wants you to live. He provides for you plenty of life, plenty of life. Of life, So the question I want to ask you again Will you trust God To give you plenty of life Or will you cling to this idea That God's just trying to take you out Somehow So God the Father provided plenty of life Let's go to number two If you're taking notes you can write this down Number two, Jesus resurrects plenty of life. Sin messed everything up. Dying you will die. People for centuries, if you read the Old Testament, there's this constant struggle between walking with God and walking away from God, constant struggle. and Finally, Jesus comes. He rises from the dead and resurrects plenty of life for us. Now, the account of Jesus' resurrection that we're celebrating today and we've been singing about has a lot to tell us about trust. On the day that Jesus died, the disciples had scattered. Peter had denied Jesus three times. Jesus had predicted that all this stuff would happen. Jesus predicted his own death and his own resurrection. He predicted that Peter would deny him three times, but they didn't believe him. That's a manifestation of a lack of trust. They didn't believe him. And so it seemed to them like death had won when they laid him in the tomb. But when the women came to the tomb early on Sunday morning, do you know what they found? They found that Jesus was alive and that life wins. It was this reversal of the story. They thought death won, but it turns out life wins. And even though human beings mess up, even though human beings struggle to trust God, Jesus came to resurrect plenty of life. That's what he wants to do for you, and that's what he does for me every day. Plenty of life. It's because Jesus rose from the dead. Now, did you know there's another account in the Gospel of John of somebody else who rose from the dead? It's found in John chapter 11, and it's a guy by the name of Lazarus. Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus, and uh, Jesus got word when he was traveling up in the northern part of Judea uh, got word that Lazarus was very sick, and his sisters had asked Jesus to come and heal him. And Jesus was delayed and didn't get there in time. And so, when Jesus finally got to the city where they lived, Lazarus had already died. It seemed like death had won for these two sisters that lost their, their brother. And when Jesus walked up into that area where they were, Martha, Lazarus' sister, came to Jesus said, and, and said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Sometimes I think we say those kinds of things to Jesus. It's really the question why. Yeah. Jesus, why didn't you heal my grandma? Jesus, why are you letting somebody I love struggle with cancer? Jesus, why? This is what Martha said. Jesus, if you'd just been here, what, what took you so long? Now I'm embellishing, but you get the idea, right? Here's what Jesus told her. Jesus said, Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, yes, he will rise when everybody else rises at the last day. Can you hear the little eye rolling that she's doing? Why? Because it sounded like one of those really insincere platitudes people give you when you're suffering, right? Kind of like, oh, I guess heaven needed another angel. You, you've heard those things, right? And I think Martha probably didn't appreciate what Jesus was saying. But Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live. Say those words, will live. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Now, lots of people teach this story and they, they say that Jesus is talking about heaven. You can have hope when you die or when a loved one dies because there's heaven and there's a resurrection and we're all going to be together again. I don't think Jesus was talking about heaven. In fact, I know he wasn't talking about heaven. He was talking about the plenty life. He was saying, look, Lazarus has died, but there's more. There's more. It's not just a metaphor. And, and what's hard, I think, for us is it literally did happen for Lazarus. Jesus walked up to the tomb. He called out Lazarus's name. Lazarus gets up, and he stumbles out. He's all wrapped up like a mummy, but he, he stumbles out, and he's alive, and he goes on to live I don't know, I would assume he lived a while, right? And I often wonder what happened to Lazarus because the Bible doesn't talk about him anymore after John chapter 11, but you know, I wonder if he didn't go on like some sort of crazy speaking tour and (laughs) fill up giant churches and everybody wanted to see the dead guy who came back to life, right? I wonder those kinds of things. But have you ever thought about this? Lazarus isn't alive today. Where's Lazarus? Dead. Mary and Martha, dead. They still had to go through this process of losing someone they loved again. And I imagine they probably asked the question again. Jesus, why? This isn't what I expected and and i think we all have to struggle with that at some point in our lives why jesus why i remember 15 years ago standing outside of a hospital room where a young mom had just died cancer her two children were in the room with her, weeping over her. And two women who were full of faith came into that room and began commanding for this dead woman to raise to life. They prayed and they prayed and they yelled at heaven and they commanded her to rise from the dead. She didn't rise from the dead. Devastating. Why, Jesus? Why? Why? What does it mean when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, and somebody doesn't rise from the dead? What does that mean? Well, I think it means that there's still plenty of life for the ones that are left, and Jesus has a purpose. There's goodness, there's abundance. In the moment, you can't see it, but if you lean into trust, Jesus has something extraordinary for you. I stood outside that hotel, hotel, hospital room, wasn't a hotel, stood out that hospital room and I just didn't know what was gonna happen to these kids. Could never have imagined that over the next course of four, five, six, seven years, we would develop a relationship with that woman's 15-year-old daughter, and we would eventually adopt her as our own daughter. All kinds of resurrection life, all kinds of plenty for Nikki, for me and Chris. Not that I'm glad that that woman died, I'm not glad at all, it was a horrible tragedy. But Jesus does something miraculous he resurrects plenty of life even in the darkest times so the question i want to ask you is will you trust god to give you the plenty of life that you need will you trust him will you trust him Here's a paradox. I'm going to rabbit trail for just a minute. We know that Jesus resurrects plenty of life, but sometimes we get stuck at the cross. Sometimes we get stuck at the cross. Let me just talk about what you believe today. You know, it's really easy to believe that Jesus died on the cross. Even most atheists believe that Jesus died on the cross. Did you know that? There's plenty of historical evidence for the fact that Jesus lived and he died on a cross. And most people today believe that he's a real person who really died on a It's not hard to believe that Jesus died. But it's more difficult for us to believe that a man who was dead for three days came back to life. And sometimes we get stuck at the cross. This is what I want you to think about today. The cross is a focus on death. And when we become preoccupied with the cross, we become preoccupied with death, and it can actually kill our spirits. But the empty tomb is a focus on life. You hear what I'm saying? And we have to be careful about what we focus on because if we focus on death, death, death all the time, it's going to kill us. But when we focus on life, it, it energizes us and we experience resurrection in every part of our lives. Jesus resurrects plenty of life, but we get stuck at the cross. What will you choose to focus on? I was talking to a mom this week who lost her daughter. And I was asking her, how do you stay hopeful? How do you hang on to this plenty of life? And you know what she said to me? She said, you know, Russ, after the funeral, when everybody went home and I was left alone, Jesus stayed with me. Jesus stayed with me. And I asked her the question, why do you think Jesus didn't intervene? And she said this, I don't know, but she said, if Jesus doesn't leave me alone, then that's plenty for me. Whoo! faith, trust. And somebody here today needs to hear that. You can trust him because he's never going to leave you. And even that little bit that the presence of Jesus will never leave you is the definition of plenty because he's gonna give you more. Okay, let's get to number three. Let me review. I want you to remember, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God the Father, say it with me, provides plenty of life. Provides. Jesus resurrects plenty of life. Holy Spirit, number three, activates the plenty of life. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but this is important. Stay with me. Romans eight eleven says, yes, God raised Jesus to life. And since God's spirit of resurrection lives in you. Man, don't fall asleep here. This is the good part. Because God's spirit of resurrection lives in who? Yes. Me, you, us. Spirit of resurrection lives. in He will also raise your dying you will die body to life by the same Spirit that breathes life into you. Somebody here needs to know this. When you you live in the power of the Holy Spirit, He activates this plenty of life that we all need. He's the key. Holy Spirit is the key. Let me ask you this again today. What has died in your life? Can you just think about that? What has died in your life? Or... Where in your life are you lacking plenty? The key to plenty of life is the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if this is new to you, if you're not familiar with with what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit, let me explain this to you simply. When you say yes to Jesus and Jesus comes into your life and forgives you of sin, at the same time that happens, this is so cool, the Holy Spirit, he sends the Holy Spirit to come and live in you. The Spirit of the resurrection lives in you and his Spirit empowers you to live live a completely different life, the plenty life. When the Holy Spirit is, is activating your life you learn to trust him. You learn to lean into him. You learn to listen to him. You learn to walk with him. And he begins to activate. Hey, listen, we all know this. I can't be the person I want to be by trying harder. Right? Anybody else found out that's total fail? I need a power greater than me. It's the Holy Spirit. And he activates this promise that Jesus has given us. And it's a simple thing. You just say yes to the forgiveness of Jesus and say yes to his activating spirit coming into your life and everything begins to change for you. If that's never happened for you, if you've never said yes to Jesus, or you've never sensed that his spirit is transforming you from the inside out, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to pray for that to happen today. We'll do that in just a couple of minutes. Here's the deal. Holy Spirit activates plenty of life for you and me. Will you trust him? I wanna end with this. Life is written into our DNA. Did you know that? Your DNA drives you to live. God made it that way. God created DNA. We're just learning about it. But God invented it. Pretty cool inventor, isn't he? One of my hobbies is growing orchids. And over the years... I've, I've grown lots and lots of orchids, and I've learned a lot about it, and I've learned that orchids, just like all of God's other creatures, have something wired into their DNA that wants to live. My oldest plant is a plant that I've had for 18 years. It's a Catalea orchid, and this is some video I shot a few years ago when this orchid plant was at its peak. I entered it in the orchid show here in Bozeman and won a blue ribbon for this plant, Um, I think there were about a dozen blooms on it and it was just huge and fragrant. You would walk into a room, the whole room smelled like orchid. Amazing plant. But one of the things that I failed to do with this plant was I had failed to repot it Uh, when it needed to be repotted. Typically, orchids need to be repotted about once a year or once every two years. And if you don't repot them, the stuff they grow in deteriorates and the roots can rot. Well, this plant was so big, I didn't have a pot to put it in. I I didn't know what to do with it, so I had procrastinated. And when I finally realized I have to repot this orchid, I pulled it out of its pot, and it was just this big tangled up mess, and it smelled like death. The roots had rotted almost completely. It had all this green stuff, all these leaves that looked beautiful on the top, but down below the surface, it was rotting and it stunk. Do you know what death smells like? It's terrible. So I cleaned the whole thing up and one of the things you have to do is you have to cut off all the decaying stuff and, 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 and then you, you have to get it into some fresh potting medium and it was a lot of work. But in the process, I noticed that, that as, I, as I pulled it all apart, it was growing in this big, long, it's how they grow in, in these big, long strings of, of growth. And the whole plant, probably about this long, the whole plant was being fed by these tiny little white roots at one end just just clinging to life, because life is in the DNA. And I, I made the decision to save the plant, I was going to have to cut it into three parts, and I was hoping that if I did everything right, maybe all three of the parts would live, but the stuff that I cut off from the, the dying, and just in a very short period of time, both of those plants died, but this one that had that, that living root to it, it was clinging to life. So I nurtured it, and I fed it, and I, potted it, and I, I made sure it had the right amount of moisture, and, and I did all the things, and I kept redoing and redoing and redoing, and finally it took, and that little plant sent up a new little shoot of life, and even though I had that big, big plant that was so cool, I was so glad that I was able to resurrect even a small piece of it. This is what the plant looks like today. It's just little, and you can still see there's a couple of leaves that don't look very good, Friends, listen. Life is in your DNA. I said to you earlier, I feel like today there's somebody here today who walked in with the spirit of death on him. I want you to know that the spirit of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is strong in this room, and He's here to set you free. Life is. <laughs> is in your DNA, not death. Death doesn't get to win. So will you come to Jesus today and let him raise you to life? Put your things aside. We're gonna pray. Musicians, would you come? I hope you will plan to be here for the six weeks of this message series. Next week, I'm going to be talking about the mindset of scarcity or plenty. This is a, this is a message that changed... Chris, in my life, probably 20 years ago, we heard somebody teaching on the mindset of scarcity or plenty. It changed us. And we live a life of abundance because of how we think and how we view the world. I don't want you to miss it, especially if you're struggling and you feel or you fear that maybe God's just trying to take you out. He's not. He wants plenty for you. There's so much we're gonna be bringing you in the next six weeks. I hope you'll be here. But I want us to pray this morning. Why don't you stand to your feet? We've got a lot of people here today who love Jesus and they know how to pray. And so I'm gonna ask you if you need to make a decision today to step in to trusting God, whatever that means for you, I I wanna ask you to trust that there are some people today who will powerfully pray for you, okay? And so what I'm gonna ask you to do is if you need an encounter with Jesus today that's gonna set you free from the spirit of death, or if you need to experience the forgiveness of Jesus for the first time, or, or you need uh, the activation of the Holy Spirit in your life, whatever you need prayer for, would you raise your hand? And I know that's probably a little vulnerable, but all over this room, will you raise your hand if you are willing to receive prayer and you need prayer, all right? Right up here. And I'm gonna ask some of you connectors that love to pray, will you gather around the people that have their hands raised? There's a couple back here, all right? Um, there's some right up here. Um, if you can move and, and begin to pray. And specifically this morning, if, if what I've been talking about, somebody that came in with the spirit of death, listen, don't leave here the way you came in. Don't leave here the way you came in because there's something for you here. There's freedom for you here. Raise your hand and we've got a connector that will come and pray with you. And I'm gonna pray for you, all right? And uh, Jesus is gonna meet you right where you are. I think we need somebody right back here yet please alright let's all pray come on pray with me this morning Lord Jesus Christ you rose from the dead 2,000 years ago we know it's true we don't just know it because we believe it but there is historical evidence that you rose from the dead it's incontrovertible. And today, Lord, we are leaning in to trust you, Jesus, to bring us life in all of its fullness, life in all of its abundance, life in all of its excessiveness. And Jesus, I want to pray for whoever it is that came in carrying a spirit of death. In Jesus' name, we cast that spirit out and we cause that spirit to depart by the power of the resurrection. We pray, Lord, that life will be resurrected in every person that have raised a hand today. Lord, we pray that... Freedom will be ministered here today. And Jesus, for people that are coming to Jesus for forgiveness, Lord, we pray that you will wash away sin, that you will wash away the mistakes and the regrets of the past. Jesus, we pray for freedom from the shame that we carry many times because of the mistakes we've made. Jesus, bring freedom. Jesus, bring freedom. bring deliverance. We pray for the powerful move of your Holy Spirit. And Now, Jesus, we want to worship you. We lift our voices, we lift our hands, and we exalt you because, Jesus, you are alive. walked down here and my good friend Colt said, you didn't finish the story on Colton. Just left him at his crappy job. So here's the rest of the story. And it was really well placed in my sermon. I'm sorry that I messed it up. Colton shared with us the other night that he was driving back to that ministry center and he was driving up a hill and the song that came up on the radio was you're a good, good father. That's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. And he said as he drove up that hill, he decided to trust God's purpose for what was going on. So he went into the ministry center. He told them what was going on. They said, "We, we bought you the fishing license. We don't know what happened. But because of these charges and the fines, you're not gonna be able to be a guide. But what they did is they, they hired a lawyer to defend Colton in, in the court system. But, but all summer long, all he could do was work around the grounds of the ministry center, fixing things and cleaning things. He just kind of been, became the get stuff done guy. And he said it was so humbling because he just wanted to be on the river leading these trips of fly fishing. But he said something that stuck with me, and this is why I wanted to share this story with you. He said that summer, he learned the value of servant ministry. And he said it changed his life, because God taught him what it means to lay down his life for his friends. Now the cool part of the story is, by the end of the summer, the lawyers had been able to uncover that the ministry center was hit by one of those internet scams and they bought a fishing license from somebody who wasn't really a fishing license salesperson. And they proved it in a court of law and Colton was exonerated. And by the fall, he was on the river fly fishing again. But listen, listen. For that season, his dream had died. But God had plenty for him. Colton is in the process of preparing to move to Oregon and become a leader with Fellowship of Christian Athletes where he's going to have an even greater impact on, on Christians and young people coming to know Jesus. And it's because he leaned into trusting God instead of assuming that God was just out to get him. Listen, you can trust God. Amen? Okay. Happy Easter, everybody. Hope you have a wonderful time today when, in all of your traditions. Our, our musicians are going to continue to worship for a little while. If you want to stay, we'd love to just keep worshiping with you. And uh, happy Easter, everybody.